We're excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned for why we love using Zen for the podcast. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Should I start the segment again? Yeah, I think we're all right. Uh, we're going to keep in our uh, bullying of you for not having chili, I think. <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to the 12th episode of Archeo Animals. We're still here. Uh, <laughs> in this episode, we've decided to finally open Pandora's box and tell you all a little bit about fish. Here is, as always, uh, Simona Falanga and with me... Uh, it's Alex Fitzpatrick and I don't want to talk about fish bones hate them just getting out of my system now like give me like one minute to just say fish bones are annoying i don't particularly like them i did my whole master's dissertation on them so i have every right to be this annoyed about fish bones um i'm constantly getting fish bone splinters in my fingers when i'm working in assemblages because of course i always seem to work on sites that are just on the coast um so yeah hate them they're the worst and uh yeah but I'm going to be the bigger person, and we're, I'm going to talk about them with Simona, of course. <laughs> uh, I, I kind of prefer the Alex Unchained bit, but mm. well, we can if you want to, I suppose. Yeah, the the, the true uh, issue with this episode is going to be balancing our, our usual edutainment that we give the audience uh, every month, and then me just wanting to uh, scream for a solid hour. And I guess I'm just like my, my usual bubbly me <laughs> but to be fair it's not just me i think uh a lot of zoo archaeologists and archaeologists in general can uh, uh relate to just being really annoyed by fish bones just they're so tiny well, i mean yeah they're they're so small i mean most of them are going to be small and the problem of course is that even if they're big they're also quite fragile so even if they started out big they will probably end up being pretty small in terms of fragmentation i I don't know about you simona but i've probably destroyed hundreds of fish bones in excavation uh i wouldn't know to be honest because the one thing about fish bones because the vast majority of them is so small Hand collection is actually quite difficult because you can't pay attention to the ground sort of at all times. It's something like that 
they're so small that you won't necessarily notice when you look at the ground, if that makes sense. So that's something like fish bones is where sampling strategies and something targeted to the recovery of fish bones becomes really vital mm-hmm. to sort of get a non-biased sample. Because like with hand collection does have its limitations in archaeological field practice. So you will have a bias towards larger fish bones. Yeah. So really that's where samples come into play and that's when you're going to recover most of your fish and your amphibians and just generic tiny things. There'll be so many a lot of the time. Like, of course, it depends on your site, but usually when you have fish bones, it never comes really in one or two bits. It's usually in the thousands because they're the devil. They were put here on this planet to annoy me personally and I hate it. I mean, it's always been the fish hate thing, let's be real. Yeah, this is the second episode of fish hate. Like, I pretty much remember last episode or the episode before, we were apologizing to the fish community. I mean, every episode is the fish hate episode. Well, actually, about that is just because it appears that I cannot talk and communicate like a proper person, because I was actually just trying to say the exact opposite, but it came out as fish as human. <laughs> and I was like, I could correct it. No, it, it's done now. It's- sorry, Simona. It's, 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 too, it's honestly, this, I think it's just this whole podcast. Obviously, two hosts. I'm extremely anti-fish. They're delicious, but also... <laughs> I just hate them. And also, can we just talk about morphologically how they're really, really annoying? Because, like, with other animals, when you get their bones, there's usually, like, one or two, like, limb bones or skull bits that are really easy to ID. So once you see it, like, you'll know exactly what you're dealing with. Fish are literally heads with spines. Like, that's it. There's nothing else that makes up a fish. So it's the most annoying thing in the world to ID them. So, like, pretty much every other group of animals will have pretty much the same bits. So if you look at a mammalian humerus or a bird humerus, like, they'll look different, but you'll be able to have a clue as of which element you're looking at. With fish, it's just... Well, I guess, aside from vertebrae, I guess you you can pretty much confidently ID a vertebra, but then it's like, is it the one of the first vertebrae of a small fish? Or is one of the last vertebrae of a large fish? Oh, yeah, because um, so one thing about fish is that uh, fish grow. I mean, this kind of sounds silly, but fish grow exponentially in size as they get older. So you'll have one species of fish and the vertebrae will be, you can have one that's really, really tiny and one that's really, really big. And it could be the same species, but just like different ages. And it's just like something went wrong when fish were created, you know, when the earth was created and fish were created, they were like, uh, I hate it. Fun fact, which I guess is actually not that fun. In fish, the vertebrae decrease in size. So the largest vertebrae will be at the base of the skull, down to the smallest ones that are by the tail fin. It's just the worst. It's the most annoying thing in the world. No, so like with, I guess there's one easy thing. I guess one good pointer actually to determine whether you're looking at a fish vertebrae, like aside from all the usual fishy stuff, is that they can be a little bit shiny and they're very angular and spiky and they've got points and projections everywhere. With the vertebrae, they usually like have two sort of processes Mm -hmm. that then unite into one, sort of like to form the base of the spine. 
Yep. And I think you only really get that in fish. So you have that, I think, uh, say you get that in the thoracic vertebrae, and then also you have some lateral ones where the ribs attach. And then in the caudal vertebrae, the two projections that then united to one, you get them at the bottom because then there's another set of spine over there. So it's just pointy bits all over. It's just bits on bits on bits. That's what a fish is. And like, I don't know how I, I like kind of know a couple of colleagues here in uh, like the British archaeology community that like specifically deal with uh, fish bones. And I don't know, like, I want to know how their brains work. Their brains work on like another level than most human beings. Like, you know, the whole like galaxy brain thing, that's them all the time. That's the only way I can conceive of them being able to like pick up like tiny fish bones and be like, oh, this is, you know, whatever fish. No, I think fish experts, along with archaeoentomologists, are the true unsung heroes of the environmental archaeology community. Yeah, no. It's just like, hat, hat, hat off to you. I don't know how they do it. it. It makes me feel like a small child when I hear them talk about their research. And I'm just like, uh, fish, you know, fish. I could barely ID them. <laughs> oh, you've done a whole master's on it. Oh, go, 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 yourself deprecating you. No, the master's is done. All that's literally, I handed in my dissertation and all the information I had about fish like went along with my dissertation. They just went right out my brain. I don't know anything about fish anymore. (laughs) Which is why we're doing the podcast. To be fair, the same happened with a master's dissertation. So even if you're asking me about it, there's just a silent scream in my brain. (laughs) (laughs) I remember nothing. And the other thing about fish is I, I just realized that I'm going to uh, be talking about every uh, like fact we have about fish in uh, a, a complaint because that's just how I feel right now. Um, the other thing about fish is that it's not you don't always get fish bones, but fish can still exist because it's you have bony fish and then you also have like the more cartil- cartilaginous g- cartil. Fish with cartilage. Oh, gosh. Here we go. Cartilage. I'm not the best person for that. (laughs) This is going to be 30 minutes of us trying to say this word. But it's fish with cartilage. Like sharks, skates, rays. They aren't necessarily made out of the same kind of hard bone that we associate. Not the bony bone. Not the bony bone. No. (laughs) Not not bone bone the cat. But a different type of like... I don't even know how to describe it, really. You know, with cartilage, we have cartilage. We, we don't have cartilage. They just have more of it than we do. Yeah. So that necessarily doesn't mean that it, it's going to preserve on an archaeological site as well as. I mean, you might bones. get the teeth. You might get the teeth. It's also possible the scales preserve, but let's face it. Yeah. You never get the scales. Uh, I, I would agree with that, except that I had 2,000 fish scales uh, on a site <laughs> I worked with. <laughs> so maybe it's just me. Maybe I just have such notoriously bad luck that I've just found all these fish scales. I counted them by hand, Simona. By hand! <laughs> well, so about about the bony fish, because I think we'll mainly be talking about the bony fish yeah. today. Uh, and of course, um, there's uh, several different species. Of course, like you know, in zoo archaeology, you deal with your usual domesticates and your wild mammals, and sometimes you do get your rodents and a few like species that aren't really meant to be there. But then, when you go enter the fish realm, mm-hmm. you have in the British Isles alone, we have about 140 species. 
of sea 140 fish. too many. There's already too many. And 34 of freshwater fish. There should be three and, in general. Just three and, species of fish. <laughs> and overall, we're thinking native will not add all the species that we've introduced over time, some later than others. That That's just, yeah, we'll, we'll leave that under key, just locked away. <laughs> I mean, it could be worse. It could be insects, so there'll be like thousands and thousands of species. Yeah, but- I don't think we're ever going to cover insects on here. One, because it's not technically zooarchaeology, and two, it seems really, really hard and I don't understand they're, it. They're animals too. I guess, but I don't know. This oh, is- so she, she's not only fish hating, she's also insect hating. Oh, the yeah, goal. yeah. <laughs> Wait, don't don't get me started on <laughs> anything else in zoo archaeology. Apparently, <laughs> I don't, you know, people listen to this podcast and they're just like, "How? Why are you still a zoo archaeologist?" I do like it. I promise. I just love it, complaining. It- well, like as a professional zoo archaeologist, you make like you know great advertisement for people who'd like to get into the field. And it's like, oh, or maybe not then. Yeah, I'm doing everyone a service. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Back to fish anyway, because can we also can we like talk about the skulls too? Because that's probably the worst thing about well, fish bones. Well, you you read my mind somehow, because uh, saying you know like I always said they're essentially skulls with a. Col- like vertebral column attached to it and that's about it i mean and the fins but yeah who cares so like the skull in fish is usually correct me if i'm wrong you're the fish expert here i'm afraid <laughs> <laughs> they are generally divided into three parts so you get your cranium and your jaws like your wood and any other animal and then you get the gill arches as well just as just to spice it up uh and uh, again to spice it up even more i mean if you ever had a fish dinner you would have noticed that the skull falls apart very quickly <sighs> so, <laughs> so you're not very likely to find the skull intact in a day after your dinner setting let alone an archaeological setting but you do so. get bits and pieces and the problem is we'll have pictures of course from me because i'm just surrounded by these things all the time but we'll have pictures in the show notes of a couple of fish uh cranial bits and they're just so (laughs) complicated it's i honestly i've pulled apart so many fish at this point in my life that i still don't really know how they come together everything's just weirdly shaped and very fragile and there's so many pieces like i off the top of my head i can't tell you how many uh individual uh elements make up the fish cranium but i want to say probably a, a billion maybe a bajillion, I feel like it's a rough estimate. And also think why I think it's so difficult with fish, because again, like, by my own admission, I'm not great with birds myself. But at the same time, in terms of elements, like, sort of, you know what you're looking for. So, like, I'll say, okay, that's a tibia tarsus. I'm, I've got no idea what species of bird that belongs to, but I've got a vague idea what I'm looking at. Mm-hmm. With fish, it's like you pick up a bone, it's like, what even is this? Where does it go? Where does it fit? It's, it's like a really bad puzzle. A p- puzzle of despair. And like, even the bits that you think you know, like here's something that like, it literally took me like two years to kind of figure out is if you look at like the jaw bits of a fish, honestly, if you look at it for the first time, you'll think it goes one way, but it's actually like upside down. Like I used to like 
side uh, or at least like identify which side the part of the bone is from wrong because I'd be holding it upside down because it just doesn't make sense the way it looks like it's it just doesn't make sense. I don't know who messed up when they made the skeleton of a fish, but... Just, just forget everything you know. And to be honest, I will also say, like, it is genuine. For, like, people out there who are starting to do, like, zooarchaeology, and, like, one, I, if you get frustrated about fish, don't feel like it's a failing of yourself because they are... I don't know if you could tell from us complaining about it. They are genuinely really hard. I mean, even with a reference collection, I find that it can be difficult to ID fish. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Also because you don't have the same pointers in terms of yeah. aging. So if you find a bone, again, a mammalian bone, that it's quite small, but then you see that it's not fully fused, you think, okay, that might be from a young animal. It's not necessarily a small thing. With fish, of course, you don't get any of that because there's a, no. uh, again, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, there's about two things that you can use to age fish. So you can look at some growth rings on the scales, which uh, you rarely recover, or similar rings on what are called the ot- otoliths. Otoliths. And ones. The ear stones, which are essentially elongated aggregations of aragonite. And if, like me, you had no idea what aragonite is, it's a crystal form of calcium carbonate. Guess what? You barely recover those as well. Yeah, no... <laughs> I like I, I remember once getting really excited because I thought I found an otolith for the first time in my life and it turned out it was just a really big fish scale. The sadness that I felt that day it has not been matched in my lifetime. One day the sadness will end. And it won't because there's still fish bones out there. So I'm just going to have to keep dealing with that. But I will also say that you can also... Uh, tell age based on the uh, rings on the vertebrae uh, as well, like on the body of the vertebrae. If you look at it, there's like it rings in the same way that you would have on a tree stump. You can kind of tell the age from that as well. So at least that's slightly better, but it's still not great. <laughs> you know, when it comes to um, different kinds of fish, how, like, how different are the skulls? No, no, it's a simple question. Like, how do you know that, like, a smaller fish head is not just a juvenile fish and rather than, like, an actually different fish? Like, skull-wise, you know, when we look at animal mammals, like, we can kind of tell differences in skulls from, like, the way they, like, tooth, teeth are positioned and stuff. Uh, are fish skulls pretty similar, or...? Um, they're pretty similar. The problem, especially with working here in Britain, is that especially in more like Iron Age type, uh, Neolithic type uh, settlements, you tend to get mostly gadids, which are, you know, uh, Atlantic cod, uh, safe, pollock, things like that. And they all kind of look exactly alike. So at the very least, you could probably differentiate with a gadid skull because they have a kind of a unique uh, jaw with uh, very um, distinguishable teeth. Other fish will have different, because there's different types of fish teeth. I don't know if you know that. Some fish will have, like, pointy, long ones. Some will have, like, more bumpy ones. Some freaky ones will also have more, like, human-looking teeth, and it's horrible. Yeah. I hate it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's awful. Did you know fish, like, teeth go all the way, like, down their throat? Fish are, like, the worst creatures. Yeah, like a, some, some got them on the roof of their mouths as well. That's just, that's just oh. not necessary. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, and it's with this uh, very enthusiastic statement. We will wrap up, uh, unfortunately not the episode, we'll just wrap up this one segment and uh, we will be back to tell you some more about fish. Chris Webster here for the Archaeology Podcast Network. We strive for high quality interviews and content so you can find information on any topic in archaeology from around the world. One way we do that is by recording interviews with our hosts and guests located in many parts of the world all at once. We do that through the use of Zencaster. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. Zencaster allows us to record high quality audio with no stress on the guest. Just send them a link to click on and that's it. Zencaster does the rest. They even do automatic transcriptions. Check out the link in the show notes for 30% off your first three months or go to zencastr.com and use the code animals looking to expand your knowledge of x-rays and imaging in the archaeology field then check out an introduction to paleo radiography a short online course offering professional training for archaeologists and affiliated disciplines created by archaeologist radiographer and lecturer james elliott the content of this course is based upon his research and teaching experience in higher education it is approved by the chartered institute for archaeologists as four hours of training that's in the uk for those of you that don't know so don't miss out on this exciting opportunity for professional and personal development for more information on pricing and course structure, visit paleoimaging.com. That's P-A-L-E-O imaging.com. And look for the link in the show notes to this episode. And we're back on uh, our 12th episode of Archeo Animals. Still Simona and Alex. Unfortunately. Yeah, still, still Alex. Still there, sort of. Uh, thinking about Hanging chili. Hanging on my thread. Yeah, I'm thinking about chili. And, Veggie uh, chili, so... You know, just saying. <laughs> but is it fish chili? Oh, is that a thing? I mean, it's probably a thing. It's probably quite nice, to be honest. No, I really yeah, like fish. I, I've never had chili anyway, so I'd, I'm not entirely sure. Sorry, can we like put the episode on hold so we can? <laughs> we what? Sorry, no, we'll get back onto it. But we're we're having this conversation later about you not having chili. That's weird. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, anyway <laughs> oh god sorry whoa, whoa 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 no that's even weirder you've never had chili no right that's weird what how can you go through your life without uh uh okay right right this yeah like, like this no, this is for, for later sure. This is so weird. This is for later. Honestly, it's so weird. Yes. Hi, anybody, anybody <laughs> listening? Have you never had chili? Please. Yeah, write to us. Care. Like this is weird. Okay. Right. Sorry. Fish. Fish. So, what can fish bones actually tell us about archaeological site and past populations? Is there a point to fish bones? Alas, yes. Uh, there are many points why studying fish remains is very important. They tell us a lot about the environment that past populations lived in. They tell us about their diet, their technology, their trade routes. You name it. All sorts. Because fish... I hate to give it to fish, but they are very important. And the great duality of man is within me as I hate fish, but also I will, I'm a big proponent of more archaeologists looking at fish. The thing with fish is that they lend themselves very well for paleoenvironmental reconstructions. Mm. Because there's uh, many species of fish and a lot of them do tend to be quite niche and they're adapted to very specific 
temperatures and climates. So the presence or absence of a particular species can actually tell us a lot about the environment. So one example that I stumbled across is uh, some uh, some research that Dr. Wheeler was doing in Orkney, in Quantanus, if I pronounce that correctly. Yeah. From that site, uh, it was Neolithic. In the Neolithic uh, layers, they recovered uh, cork wing wrasse, uh, which doesn't occur in that area anymore because it actually lives in much warmer climates. So from that, the uh, E could infer that the seas were warmer in the Orkneys in the Neolithic period than they are now. Yeah, and like the the good thing about fish is that a lot of the fish that we had in the past are still around in some kind of kind of variation. So we can compare uh, data that we have from fish uh, and fisheries that exist right now uh, with the fish that we have from the past. So, like you said, we can see kind of what the environment was like, like uh, the temperature, seasonality. We can find out. I mean, we can also infer from the fish that we have, like what kind of predators might have been around to eat these fish um especially depending on what you know the fish bones are like once we have them we could say you know oh these are be clearly being eaten by so-and-so uh animal so you get that kind of like chain again mostly inferring uh but still you know it's more kind of uh information that we didn't have before and, and uh, also because you can find i guess that uh links us on to diet you can find fish bones i guess bones in general that uh, show signs of having been digested yep (laughs) it's very strange um i've i've seen this a few times now and basically there are some fish that are small enough that the way you would eat it is you would basically just kind of uh, cook it over fire and then eat it whole so you would get these like the vertebrae digested they would become more compressed and like slightly eroded from being digested Uh, and this could be this isn't just humans uh some like seals and stuff will eat fish this way as well and so i've spent many hours using an electron microscope to see uh if fish bones had been uh digested and pooed out fun it's a charming job isn't it i got a master's degree doing that so you know there's worse things you could do, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah, no, and of course, you know, they, they tell us about the diets of past populations. Of course, it's something that we can't, we, we don't just get from the presence of absence of fish bones. You can also look at isotope, like stable mm-hmm. isotope levels in the human remains themselves and see whether they had a more plant-based or animal-based diet. If they had an animal-based diet, whether it was marine, like terrestrial mammal or marine so animals, because the if it's marine animals, like the isotope levels just skyrocket through the roof. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the so nitrogen, right? Yeah, the nitrogen levels. That that's what. Yeah, because it's carbon for <laughs> plant based, and uh, yeah, nitrogen for. Yeah, I haven't done isotopes in a while. <laughs> but that that's another way of telling, I guess, as opposed to finding the fish itself. But it also, I guess, based on what bones we recover and the way it was processed so we can see whether they were whether they were eaten or whether they were both you know taken and like processed and eaten at the same site you know a bit like when we talked about hunt the kill sites in the hunting Mm -hmm. episode or whether they used them for non-consumption reasons just like to make oil 
which uh, we have extensively done in the past. It is still done in some parts of the world today Mm -hmm. to get oil from fish. One thing I like about the diet component is that uh, we have some examples of people using uh, isotope analysis and uh, seeing like fish bones from related sites uh, to talk about um, like varying types of subsistence. So there, I can't think of the actual names of the sites off the top of my head. I apologize for that. But there are some instances of uh, settlements that have turned to more marine diets uh, as a a way to supplement their diets in the face of things like famine. So not only do you get what they were eating, you also get kind of these big events that were happening uh, in these settlements at that time that you wouldn't necessarily know of from other aspects of the archaeological record. Yeah. See, I know things. (laughs) Other things that you can learn from fish remains, of course, is the technology that the past population would have had at their disposal. So like, because to catch a certain type of fish, you may need some more or less specialized equipment. So whether it's a line and hook or nets or deep sea fishing or not, I don't know. I don't know an awful lot about fishing, which is, I should know more because I come from a place where... There is a lot of reliance on fish for very obvious reasons and has been so for thousands of years, but I don't know much about fishing myself, I must admit. Really? Huh. So we got to go fishing and we got to go make some chili. Anything else we need to do with you at some point? I'll put them on my bucket list. Yeah. So basically, it's not just, like you said, kind of the fishing equipment, like uh, line and hook and nets, uh, which have developed over time uh, as well. But uh, when we say like deep sea fishing, uh, we mean that it's more technological advances such as, you know, how they get there sailing, um, uh, how they've built the boats to get there, uh, all the other kind of more uh, specialized equipment they would need to uh, get these fish that are probably more uh, into the ocean rather than coastal, which, uh, to be fair, like a lot of uh, prehistoric uh, fish bones that we find uh, in a more consumption setting uh, tend to be like coastal or uh, shallow fish. So you would just need either a net or a line or a hook. I mean, there's even um, some instances where fish might have been scavenged, uh, you know, through rock pools, uh, which are, you know, on the beach. So they're not necessarily that hard to get to. Well, also that, that doesn't necessarily imply a lack of technology in itself. It's just if it's easier and it is right there, then why not? Exactly. Yeah. You know, it likes like getting muscles and stuff, you know, if you can get that pretty easy. Like, why would you make more work for yourself? Yeah, exactly. I love um, muscles. And yeah. I was just wondering, um, you know, obviously fish exist in rivers and stuff as well. So like, what's, uh, what technology? Do they? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> no, it's because you were talking about sailing and special fishing gear for like deep side diving. And you're talking about rock pools and this is like quite coastal stuff. I'm just wondering what yeah. sort of technology do we use inland? 
I mean, it's mostly the same depending on because obviously it's not just rivers. You know, you have you have you can have rivers, you can have small like brooks uh, or creeks, but you can also have huge lakes. Freshwater fish is kind of the same thing in that uh, you know for the more shallow stuff, line and hook, uh, especially in rivers. I think it's mostly things like nets, uh, which depending on how wide the where river is, you can you know obviously set up a thing there. Uh, and then if you have something like uh, as big as uh, a lake or even like a pretty big pond you'd still have the kind of similar technologies you'd have for deep sea fishing uh, specifically you'd need like some kind of apparatus to take you to like the middle of that body of water like a boat or some kind of thing like that and of course there's also in a way like i can't think of the right uh, the correct english term for it like not not cultivated fish so you don't cultivate fish but <laughs> fish that were there in artificial ponds for a reason because they wouldn't mm. be kept and then like in some instances you do find fish wares that would have separated the younger fish from the older ones to avoid the older ones, you know, eating them and stuff or special sort of uh, wooden cages that they would have made for eels. Yeah, exactly. Because you, you do tend to find, I mean, I'm not sure about an amount, but you do find them sort of, especially in medieval archaeology. You do tend to find yeah, those. Yeah, that's why I usually associate them with. I just sort of like, um, I think it's in, in the medieval period as well, that you do also start to see a shift in, sort of in the fish that you find in archaeological sites, because as the market and technologies have changed, then sort of people, like the species that you find have changed with it. So yeah. like one big thing that you find in a lot of European urban settlements in the medieval period is um, like a big white and stockfish industry. And in that particular instance, because of the lack of heads that you tend to find on sites of this time period in Europe, it's believed that the fish would have been sort of gutted and beheaded on site, sometimes filleted as well. And then it would have been dried, salted, and then traded to the population centers where you then find the remains. Yeah, like uh, whether or not a fish skull is present is often used as a a big signifier of uh, trading. Of course, you know, we could have been that we just didn't find the skull bits. But uh, for the most part, it can indicate like that these fish had been taken from another place, especially if you have something like, say, freshwater fish found near coast. Talking about trade and stuff, I think, leads us into like the last kind of big component of what fish can tell us which is trade and also status uh with the assumption that more foreign fish uh fish that would have to be taken a very long way uh appearing in assemblages you'd probably dealing with something of more of a higher status um it's not necessarily something that you really see with fish a lot of times i don't know if you run into it more simona but like well, I can't think of any specific examples in terms of sites, but I know there is a generic trend. And again, we're talking medieval sites more than anything. So if when yeah. uh, uh, people have compared sort of like within the same geographical area, you would have had a settlement of just like where the population lived and then a castle or somewhere where nobles lived. And there is a marked difference in the species of fish that you will, you'll find in both. Yeah. So I cannot infer as to what, I can't think of a a specific example off the top of my head, but it is something 
that does happen like fish like especially sort of like from what i've read in the medieval period it is a very good indicator of status and i mean it makes sense too especially if we're dealing with traded fish from you know quote-unquote faraway lands um the, the idea of exoticism in general when it comes to animal remains uh especially in places like you know the medieval period usually can be correlated to status meanwhile nowadays it's still kind of the same because i mean like there's some real good fish that i would love to eat right now i'm definitely not thinking about dinner right now sushi's expensive you know uh i think you are <laughs> thinking about dinner again oh man i'd love to find some archaeological sushi <laughs> archaeological sushi yeah uh, <laughs> I, mean, I would eat it <laughs> <laughs> Neolithic nigiri? Oh my god, I would eat it. Like honestly, like I know people like always t- share that article about the bog brother, and I'm like, oh, I would eat that. Like, I if I found like yeah, like sashimi from like the Neolithic period, I would chomp on that so quickly. No one would have time well, to. Uh, uh, Alex, do not eat the archaeology. Rules. Don't tell me what to do. do. Do not eat the heritage. <laughs> <laughs> I never get to have any fun. Does, what about the sarcophagus juice, the bog butter, um, honey from like ancient Egypt? I'm pretty sure that survived. Oh yeah, there's always like stories of like there's those things uh, someone shared on Twitter that were like basically donuts from like the Bronze Age. Yes, well they're more like Cheerios, weren't they? Like kind of I, th- like. Do you know what they are? They're more like going in my stomach if I go near them. This is why I work with uh, animal bones. You can't really chomp on them. Well, it's also you something, that, something that I'd heard years ago about, like, serving, like, mammoth meat that was found in the Siberian permafrost. <gasps> and you're like, okay, okay. Oh, man, I'd fry that up so fast. <laughs> what what a time to be alive. I'm going <laughs> to die this way, guys. I'm going <laughs> to... She's going to die doing what she loved most, eating the archaeology. <laughs> science as well you can like describe it have your own yeah on my deathbed my death rattle will be me going it was really good (laughs) worth it (laughs) all right i think uh yeah it's a time for another break then please i think so (laughs) if you have archaeological sashimi uh please send it to me dm me i'll give you my address i would love to eat it You may have heard my pitch for membership. It's a great idea and really helps out. However, you can also support us by picking up a fun t-shirt, sticker, or something from a large selection of items from our T Public store. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash shop for a link. That's arcpodnet.com slash shop to pick up some fun swag and support the show. And we are back and I am still without archaeological sushi. So, you know, thanks for that everyone for not sending me archaeological sushi right away uh but i guess we can do some case studies simona yes as i think the case that the case study is pretty much essentially your master's dissertation is which I, I, I can I, I can tell everyone about it if you'd like me to i'll probably butcher it which i guess is it's fitting for a zoo archaeology podcast but uh <laughs> perhaps you should discuss it <laughs> 
<sighs> okay. Well, um, I've probably mentioned it before uh, in between all of me ranting about how much I hate fish. But um, I used to work in the Orkney Islands, which are uh, a series of islands up north of uh, Scotland. And one of the things that I ended up working on is uh, fish bones from uh, Rousey, uh, which is one of the Orkney Islands. Uh, so basically, there's this kind of commonly accepted idea, maybe not so much uh, in the past couple of years, that uh, in the British Iron Age, uh, people just kind of stopped eating fish. Like it just wasn't necessarily a thing anymore. So there's a lot of ideas of fish becoming taboo in the Iron Age or, you know, some kind of issue happening. But the problem is that's clearly not true everywhere, uh, especially in the North Atlantic Isles, which is where the Orkneys are. So my master's uh, dissertation was taking all of these fish bones that we had uh, from the coastal site of Swandro. And basically kind of examining them, seeing are they just, you know, natural deposits? Because we are on the coast. I mean, you're going to find fish bones on the coast of an island. Or were they actually, you know, consumed? Were they uh, processed in any ways? Things like that. Uh, so long story short, uh, yeah, there was fishing in the British Iron Age in the Orkney Islands. Because, duh, of course there would be. Um I basically looked at like almost 3,000 fish bones, uh, which makes me sad to think about because that's so much time of my life that I spent looking at tiny fish bones that I will never get back. Yeah, uh, by doing stuff like um, electron microscopy uh, and uh, isotope analysis, been able to see that there were uh, signs of consumption on some of these fish bones. A lot of them had been burnt, uh, so they were probably cooked and things like that. Uh, and they were also like at a part of the site where they clearly were being processed because they're all like kind of in one place. And the fact that we also had fish skull bones show that these weren't like traded really. They were probably just processed on site and then eaten because uh, the site of Swandro is mostly like a, a settlement site that was used by the Pictish uh, and then eventually used by Vikings. So... Yeah, no. Uh, take that, archaeologists who said there were no fishing in the British Iron Age. You're wrong. <laughs> that was actually the conclusion of my dissertation. With the aha at the end and everything. Yeah. I mean, that is just archaeological research, isn't it? Just like saying, ha, yeah, you're wrong. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm yeah, I mean, those are all of my papers. If anyone's read my papers, you'll notice that every single conclusion is, ha, you're wrong. No wonder why they keep getting rejected. Um, I, I, I was intending to read your your, your papers. No, sorry well, about you that. Spoiled yeah. it for me, you gave me scientific yeah scientific spoilers. spoilers. I, my, all of my papers end with me taunting other archaeologists. We'll have to put like every time we do a case study. Now we'll just put a spoiler alert at the beginning, just in case people don't want the paper spoiled. Oh my gosh! Can you imagine? <laughs> Don't tell me! Don't tell me about the spoilers. Abstract, like doesn't most abstracts have like the conclusion at least? Yeah, that's why you don't read the abstract. You don't want to get spoiled. You skip the abstract. You go right the introduction. But how do you know if the paper is like useful to you? If you don't read the abstract, you know whether it's relevant to what you're doing or not. Yeah, and there's also, of course, I, I'm not going to say it was me, but there are certainly lots of people who during their undergraduate and graduate days would only read the abstract and absolutely nothing else from the paper. 
Uh, Definitely not me. Definitely wasn't me. Nope. I know I've never read an abstract in my life. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, I mean, my master dissertation is very cut and dry type of fish analysis, uh, and which I guess is kind of like a pun, cut and dry fish. I don't know. Uh, but you know, it's yummy. <laughs> Speaking of yummy, uh, our next uh, case study, probably a bit more delicious than my master gestation. Fish sauce, anyone? Mm, fish sauce. Uh, so we'll have a link, of course, to the original story in our show notes. But uh, this is actually pretty recent uh, that they found all of these uh, fish sauce, like jars and jars of fish sauce Uh that might help confirm the date that Pompeii was destroyed. Yeah, and, and not just that, as if that in itself wasn't, you know, a great discovery, but could also get information about the fish's age and sort of like the seasonality with which they were fished. Because of course, you know, fishing is also affected by the seasons. And I've forgotten how to speak again, because fish sauce. Mm, yeah, I mean, do you how much do you know about... Uh, Garum? Is that how you say it? It's like a fermented fish sauce that, like, I've definitely run across it in reading uh, when I was doing, like, Roman archaeology. Yeah, no, it's pretty much just garum. Gar- gar- it's, just, it's exactly the same, just with a rolled dal. But then again, that's uh, presuming that that's how the Romans would have pronounced it. And frankly, we don't know. Or we probably don't know. I don't know how to roll my R's. I just want to put that out there into the universe. Anyone made from anchovies, pickerels, or a mixture of the two? Okay, so it's hmm. a fish sauce. A fish sauce that is—it's not a sauce that goes with fish. It's a sauce that has fish in it. Yeah, done. Or hello, if they found fish remains and they dated. <laughs> um, hello, me. No, it's not something I've really encountered, and because normally. So back home to us, uh, fish sauce is essentially just olive oil, lemon juice, salt, and a bit of parsley. Doesn't and gar- that, yeah. And garlic. That's... Everyone here yeah. hates it. A hundred percent of people in this country that I've cooked this for and I've tried it, found it vile. Sounds all right. It, it makes me feel very lonely. It's just me and my fish Aww. sauce. Well, maybe you should learn how to make this fermented fish sauce because apparently it's just a yeah bunch of uh, fermented fish uh, that was commonly eaten in uh, Roman the Roman period, and like you said, uh, because there's bits of fish within this sauce, uh, you can we could basically take you know the age the seasonality from which they were probably caught based on the age um to help with uh dating uh the actual like day that pompeii was destroyed because i think we have like an idea of a date but we don't necessarily have like a hard confirmation about it uh but what i like about this case study is that it's another example of just kind of like last minute analysis on fish bones apparently these kind of things were we just had them, but no one bothered to look at them because it, archaeologists are just adverse to fish bones in general. Just because I guess it's something quite niche. I don't think that there aren't as many people as you'd think that specialize in it. Mm-hmm. 
and then I find out there's like thousands and thousands of fish experts to in which case I do apologize <laughs> there are definitely people who specialize in it but I think that in general we don't necessarily like see it as like quote-unquote important I mean it's something it's a problem in archaeology in general where you know what's the one artifact that everyone wants to find it's something gold something expensive something you know mostly intact uh, just, just, just with- not the bones because I mean, it's sort of shifting perspectives because I think it was in the not too distant past uh, people be like oh bone oh just my gosh yeah I mean, my the site that I'm working on now, uh, we, we're missing a lot of bones because they basically dug it up in the 1930s and then went, we don't need this, and just tossed them. So, yeah, I feel like that's just, it's just an attitude issue. And I think, uh, well, at least within the last, like, decade or so, we're finally getting more people interested into the really, really niche. I mean, you have people who are looking at pollen, uh, which is, again, just completely out of my uh, expertise at all whatsoever. I'll never understand it. But, you know, it's important and cool and helps us learn more about the past. Um, but like, you know, 10 years ago, no one would be looking at that. And I find that it is actually among one of the more important materials because it tells you about the actual people that live there. <laughs> Stuff like archaeobotany or environmental archaeology, zoo archaeology, like they reconstruct the environment and the people that lived there. Yeah. I mean, the, the very pretty brooch, okay, it's a beautiful brooch, but there's only so much that tells you. Yeah, especially because a lot of the stuff ends up being like a, a status thing. So you're also not looking at, you know, the average person. Rather, you're probably going to be looking at like the wealthiest person. So, I mean, yeah, that's the thing. As much as I will complain about fish bones and rant about them and say how much I dislike them, I am still a huge proponent of the fact that I think we as archaeologists, or at least as a discipline, need to be training more people and also putting more effort and time and money towards doing more fish analysis because it's super important and it can tell you so much about a site. Absolutely. No, I agree. And uh, with that in mind, <laughs> did, did you did you like this last case study that I posted? Uh, <laughs> it's it's one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. W- w- would you like to take it away? Uh, so last year, apparently, the uh, October part of last year, uh, they found the first ever recovered lamprey teeth in the archaeological record of London. (laughs) And lamprey uh, are these horrible fish that, uh, to me, they always look like leeches. Like, I used to mix them up with leeches whenever I saw a picture of them when I was younger. Uh, We'll obviously have a link to the story in our show notes so you can see a horrible picture of these awful awful fish uh, for yourself but we've apparently we've had uh, textual uh, evidence of lamprey consumption which is disgusting Uh, (laughs) again like in the medieval period and this was the first time we'd actually had physical evidence of uh, lamprey in London so yeah that's disgusting and I hate it But I mean, I think what this uh, story is, other than disgusting, and I hate their teeth, and they're horrible, and fish teeth are terrible. uh, I also think this is a really good indication of like just how hard it can be to identify and find fish bones. Uh, Because again, you know, it's London. London's been dug up, and like, 
uh, dug and like changed for how many times over the past hundreds of years and they've only found lamprey teeth this one time as i said uh, anyone who knows fish bones like that unsung heroes of archaeology truly yeah and like i I would love to to know who's the one person who finally found them and was like hey this is actually something probably interesting because i think a lot of archaeologists would probably just toss fish bones over their shoulder if they could hopefully not. i've definitely seen it in person i've seen it in person to be honest i won't name names but i have seen people just be like oh it's fish bone oh it was me no i'm just kidding it wasn't (laughs) me I'm good. I always collect the fish bones. The, the great irony was I collected all these fish bones being like, you know, maybe we'll actually need to use them uh, in Orkney. And then it turns out that I was the person who had to use them. I'm cursed. It's a danger yeah, you, you, You're being honked at as well. Yeah, no, that's, that's actually a fish. There's a fish outside my house right now honking at me because it knows that I'm just being really mean about it. There's a protest actually going on right outside my house now of just fish. It's amazing. They're all flopping around. They're all dying very quickly. It's kind of sad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what a downer of an episode. I mean, uh, uh, you mean a downer? Uh, 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 you know, fish. Actually, actually, we'll be talking about drowners. They go. Oh, spoilers. Oh, yeah. And, uh, j- just to explain, because uh, Tristan was mentioning drowners and it's like, actually, not recording next week. Well, we'll be talking about drowners because drowner appears to be the name of one of the creatures that we've selected for our video game zoo archaeology episode. Yeah. So look forward to that. If you're listening to this episode, that will be coming out next month. <laughs> so you'll have a little bit longer to wait, but that should be good. But yeah, I think uh, should we wrap up the episode? I don't know if I have it in me to talk any more about fish unless you have any questions that you want to throw at me because you, you're mean and hate me. No, it's because I'm generally interested. I, I try not to make them too awkward. <laughs> but I, what I find quite interesting when you're talking about fish is that you know, the, these are a very like, um, prominent piece of like our history. You know, we, we find fish especially in Britain because of all the coast. Is there any weird places to find fish in the UK? Is there any, like, you're talking about fish being, like, where fish being traded. Do we see any, like, Mediterranean fish in the UK? Or how do we, is there any, like, status fish in the UK that we know of? I mean, with the Mediterranean fish, is yes and no, because there's an example that it's also in the Orkney Islands, and it's from a Viking site, but the, the name escapes me at the minute. And you do find a fish that it wasn't, transported from the, the, the Mediterranean. It was a fish that lived there during those times because the seas were warmer, but now you don't find them there anymore, but you do find them in the, in the Mediterranean. So in that sense, yes. Huh. Yeah, I mean, it, it really depends also like on the species type. Like the most unu- quote-unquote unusual fish I've ever found is uh, a random uh, monkfish jaw uh, on a site. Uh, among fish basically being like an angler kind of fish, uh, which I'm still convinced was only uh, kept on site because someone accidentally caught it and thought it looked cool. Oh, and just one last little question. Oh, hello, Bastet. So- um, <laughs> in the fishing in the Orkney Islands, so uh, Iron Age fishing, how, how did people fish in the Iron Age? Was it like nets or spears? 
Um, I believe it was it was line and uh, hook because uh, we have some evidence that we found from excavating of fishing equipment, and I believe most of it was like uh, lines and like weights that you would put uh, to help fish. And I think we have some evidence of nets as well. Um, but yeah, there's definitely a lot because a lot of the fishing that they ended up doing, uh, at least on our site, was more coastal, so they didn't necessarily need anything that, um, you know, heavy duty. But uh, yeah, um, oh gosh, I want sushi so bad now. I think uh, I think it's I think it's time to wrap up the episode so I can uh, go outside to where the fish are protesting uh, and have now died and pick them up and eat them. So you're just going to throw away the chili or just send me the chili? Yeah, I'll send you the chili and I'll eat the fish that I've been protesting outside my house. There's a lot of lore in this episode, I've realized. (laughs) So if you're following, you know, get your little Archie Animals lore book out. Make sure sure you have your notes done. It's so you can keep up with all the different, like, skill sets everybody has, you know. You know, people have natural 20s, have a D6 on jokes, you know. Canonically, uh, there are fish NPCs outside my house right now. I have a plus five against uh, all fish enemies. Uh, so yeah, keep track of that. You will be tested in uh, the next couple episodes. See, this is really definitely foreshadowing the next episode. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Uh, but uh, in the I'm, meantime... I'm, ex- I'm excited. Sorry. I, I, I think that is the most research I've done on an episode ever. I've written so much that I've... I've gone over the word limit. <laughs> All right. Well, let's stop hyping it up because it's kind of mean to people because they won't hear the next episode for like another month. Uh, but uh, I think that's kind of it for us. Um, it's been uh, an episode. Uh, thanks for less listening to us uh, hear- rant about fish bones. I am so hungry <laughs> uh as always it's uh, been me alex patrick and and simona falanga and bastard's been here as well to tell us all how much she actually hates fish and that was our episode of archaeo animals be sure to like subscribe send us questions complaints about how we don't like fish whatever you want and uh yeah that's it bye Thank you for listening to Archeo Animals. Please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. You can find us on Twitter at Archeo Animals. Also, the views expressed on the podcast are those of ourselves, the hosts and guests, and do not necessarily represent those of our institution, employers, and the Archaeology Podcast Network. Thanks for listening. This show is produced and recorded by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle in Reno, Nevada at the Reno Collective. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info.